What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. If you've been in leadership for any length of time, you understand the vision has to happen. You got to have it. But the right systems and skills are what make the vision happen. And that's what we're going to talk about on this episode of Lynch with a Leader. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike, and it is a joy and an honor to be on this leadership journey with you as we're all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the spaces and places that God has put us. Well, today is episode 175, and for 175 episodes, we've had the same lane we've stayed on, and that is spiritual leadership. We believe that leadership is a great thing. Any type of leadership is a great thing, but spiritual leadership is the thing that lasts. And going back to the original founding of this podcast, we agree with the Blackaby organization. Uh, spiritual leadership is about getting people on God's agenda. Well, today's episode is definitely right down that lane. We sit down with Scott Wozniak. Scott Wozniak is a organizational leader that has been at it for a while now. And I tell you what, man, he has traveled the globe working with leadership and organizations, startups. And through that experience, it led him to eight years where he parked his consulting practice and served as an in-house consultant at Chick-fil-A with the headquarters as they worked on strategy and implementation of major change programs. He has his master's degree in organizational leadership. He leads SWAS Consulting. He's written two books. Uh, I tell you what, this guy is a learned guy, but I'm going to tell you even more. He is a practitioner of what he's learned, and I think you're really, really going to enjoy this episode. It's good, practical nuts and bolts about what it takes to put things together to make things happen. Thanks for making it 175 great episodes. I think this is one you're really going to enjoy. So I don't know where you're listening from today, but I want you to pull up a chair and I want you to listen in to my conversation with Scott Wozniak. Well, Scott, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Lynch with a Leader. It is an honor to have you, buddy. Well, back at you, Mike. I've been looking forward to this. Well, when I got to read up on you, your story was so fascinating because mm -hmm. now God is using, using you to influence influencers, to pour into CEOs and leaders of corporations and, and university systems. But that wasn't the original pathway that you started on. You Not even sort of started on the, you sort of started on the stage and theater. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I I was a child actor, child singer. Um, so I have some family connections. My mom was a theater director and involved in a lot of that stuff. So I was kind of tagging around. But honestly, 
I did my first speaking role in a play when I was four years old. Um, I'm pretty sure there was no casting call. I think it was one of those, like my mom was the director. We need a kid. He's going to be at the rehearsals anyway. Like give him the lines, see if he can handle it. Um, and man, I loved it. And I did another play the next year and the next. And by the time I was 10, I was doing private lessons and winning all sorts of regional competitions. Um, by the time I got in high school, I was in front of tens of thousands, even got on an NBC Christmas special. Uh, man, it was um, traveling choirs and recording CDs and and doing, uh, you know, classic plays like Sound of Music. Uh, it was it was a ride, man. It was a lot of fun. And I did a bunch of other activities along the side. I I managed to like there would be a couple of seasons a year where I'd be all in. But then I'd go play sports and uh, involved with my family or church and school. And so it was a very, very full childhood, but man, it was a blast. Uh, how did you, how did you make the pivot? How did you make the pivot from what you were doing and sort of that in, you know, so much of our identity gets wrapped up in what you were doing oh, yeah. to the, to getting into the business sector and going that direction. What was the pivot? What was the change there? Yeah. So there, there's actually two pivots at least. So I took like a left turn and another left turn and somewhere along the way, figured it out. So, okay. So I grew up doing this and it was one of these scenarios where I liked it, but as I got really into it, I got into my early twenties, I went and got a degree in musical theater performance. I was doing professional work and, and I woke up one day realizing I don't actually love this. So mm. I had been doing some stuff on the side, volunteering with some ministries and, and honestly found myself wishing I could go do more of the other stuff than this. And, and what I realized, it was one of these scenarios where everyone said, Hey, you've got the gift. You got to do this. And like, Oh, I, I have the gift. I, I, I suppose this is my calling. And now when I teach and mentor, one of the things I'm I, like challenge people is don't just assume because you have a, a talent or a skill that you have to wrap your life in around that career. Right. Like it's good. You might be really good at math. It doesn't mean you have to be in finance. Um, doesn't mean you have to go be a math teacher. There's a lot of other ways to use some of these skills. And so, so like just because I had ability doesn't mean it was my calling, which really what was happening for me was I was getting into the deep questions around who am I identity, right? And what is it that God is actually calling me to do with my life? And the further I prayed and talked and pushed, it was, I mean, it was working. And Micah, just to be transparent, I I pretty much had, I had over 60 lead roles. I, mm. I pretty much just did well. Wherever I went, I got the role. We had a blast, but it was, it was also like the, the more success I got, the more it was like, I don't love it. This mm. isn't really mm. the passion I think I'm supposed to get up and do, but there were pieces and parts I loved about it. So how do I play with that? And I had an opportunity to go work and focus on the family after all this. And so um, large ministry, but specifically they were doing, which I think it was the last one of these they've done, but they were doing this stadium filling tour where they would get bands and comedians and speakers, and they would go like 20, 40,000 people and fill stadiums around the country. And so I, I became the assistant backstage manager for that. Like, okay, I'll help the guy who's running the backstage stuff. And I get to use my stage stuff. I get to do it for ministry. Well, that got me, I worked with the uh, sports camps, Canacuck, uh, used some yeah. of my sports background, love those guys. Became a personnel director for them. Can't so focus and can't. And then I started getting into local churches and doing youth ministry and inner city kids. And, and so, so I'm thinking, okay, if I love Jesus, I guess I work for ministries. Like that yeah. must be the answer, right? In fact, 
I'm not mildly. I'm actually legitimately embarrassed like this. One of my close friends, I got him together. And I remember this vivid moment. I sat down and I was like, if you love Jesus, like you say you're a follower, how are you not joining me in the ministry? The guy had gone to business school. And I'm yeah. like, what are you doing? Right. The irony of this is really rich now because, well, I'll get there. So, okay. So I'm doing this ministry stuff and the mission is noble and the impact is beautiful. And honestly, I worked for a couple of around several different groups, but but two vividly of the leaders. I won't call them out for reasons you'll hear. Then they were really nice guys. They loved God. They had a great heart, and they were really bad leaders. Yeah. Um, and it was a nightmare. And I, I I was talking to a mentor. I'm like, oh my gosh, what is this? It it's not a moral failure. It's not a theological problem. They're even nice people, right? Like I want to hang out with them on the weekends. But this is such a trouble. And I didn't even have words for it. So they handed me a leadership book. And at first I was like, listen, listen, I'm an arts ministry guy, right? Like I don't do this uh, math accounting thing. Uh, and he's like, just read the book. And I stayed up reading that book till like 2 a.m. Um, it was like a novel. It's like, oh my gosh, I didn't have words for this stuff. So that got me into more books and got me into coaching and workshops and and really my mind opened to the idea of strategy and systems and team building and structure and all this organizational leadership stuff that that honestly nobody had talked to me about. I mean, I, I went to seminary during some of this time and there were no leadership classes. Um, I, I So I did theater, no leadership classes. I ended up moving into directing near the end of it. I was trying to figure out how to still find a love for that. Got into ministry, various roles. Lots of theology training, no leadership training. So I'm finally getting this stuff. And I was honestly, I was kind of shaking my fist at God one day. Like, it's not right that the kingdom's held back for bad leaders. Or somebody ought to do something about this. And it's like the Holy Spirit's elbowing me the whole time. Like, yeah, somebody ought to do something, right? Uh, so, I, so, okay, left turn to left turn. I think this is my calling now, is my passion is to say, how do I come alongside leaders and help them build legendary organizations? How do we build the kind of, of world-changing, you know, make a dent in the universe institutions? And, and what that led me to was back to getting a leadership degree. And honestly, at first, I couldn't, I was, I was a little bummed about this. I couldn't find a leadership degree that didn't have a business program part of it. So I ended up going back and get a master's in business with an emphasis in leadership. I went to Regent University. I met my wife there. So lots of benefits came out of that program. But while I was still in school, one of my professors had me start working with him on the side. And when I graduated, he hired me full-time doing coaching and training and stuff like that. And then like three months later, he announced he was retiring uh, and asked me to take over the company. So I started running this leadership coaching training company. And um, that that's the beginning of what ended up being a, a fascinating career where I began to discover, oh man, there's so much ministry and discipleship and, and impact that comes into being a good steward leadership wise, the people and the organizations and the resources. Um, and how do you do that with excellence and strategy uh, and this whole like side of my brain that always existed. And I, I played strategy games and board mm -hmm. games and computer. Mm -hmm. I, but I was like, you can't build a career on that. I'm like, business is just accounting. And I really wasn't into accounting. No offense to any accountants who listen, not my jam, but, but man, I realized it's so much of a bigger picture. Um, and, and so to throw one last piece on the story. So now I'm a consulting company and I, I work with lots of companies, but probably one of the more pivotal experiences is 
I ended up getting to work at the Chick-fil-A corporate headquarters um, at their support center. And you want to talk about ministry through a business, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's chicken sandwiches and salads and milkshakes. And I mean, you know, it's fast food, right? It's good stuff. But how do you make that ministry? Oh man, the, the hundreds of thousands of lives that they impact on a regular basis, um, through doing their work with excellence, through training the team members in the local stores to the, to the ministry projects that the family does. I mean, it's, it's really become like a, it was an eye opening. Oh man. So I had people ask me like, why'd you leave the ministry? Right. I mean, I, I did get ordained yeah. in the whole process here. And honestly, I don't think I have left the ministry. I, mm. I don't get to work for a 501 C three, the tax benefits are gone. Right. But, but in terms of pouring into people's lives, um, bringing biblical truth, making a difference. Yeah. I, I do that all the time. Now that might mean I'm in the middle of a software company or a, a manufacturing group that kind of helping them think through how they put a team together and, or deal with a, an executive conflict or, or do something for a customer. But, but underneath it all is the same practical God inspired principles of like, this is it's bringing the kingdom. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that there's the story of man, I never would have expected it. Uh, but yeah, God's, God's plans are, almost never the same as mine and are always better than mine. So. That's exactly right. And what I love about that, Scott, when I was reading all your stuff and listening to you, he didn't waste any of your journey, mm. your theatrical background and how you use that now in presentations and yeah. leader, you know, the triggers, you know how to speak to an audience, your background and love for sports, all of that comes together. And I love something you said, and I want to, I want to go back to it because I thought sure. it was so good. You don't have to do just what you are you are really, really good at. I heard uh, Marcus Buckingham say years ago, strengths aren't things you're good at. They're things that when you do them, they give you energy. Ooh, and like boy, that was just such a, because there's a lot of things we're good at. They don't mm-hmm. give us energy. When you get up every morning and you get dressed to go to pour into a company, or pour into a software company and a group of leaders. What does that feel like knowing I am doing exactly what God called me to do? What does that feel like for you? Man, it is deep satisfaction. It is, uh, it's work. Don't get me wrong. You can end the day of full, intense conversations with my, my energy spent, but the, the deep gladness of like, Oh, this was, this was good. It feels like being fully alive. Honestly, Mike, it's like, okay. Um, parts of me that I didn't know what to do with get to all come to bear. Like you said, all these pieces of my past that like, what do you do with that? Well, well, now I understand the parts of theater I did love and why I loved it. And it all gets to come together. Um, yeah, I, I think we get so narrowly confined to the the normal path, right? The, well, this is what my parents did, or these, this is the common career option for the people next to us. And I think God's creativity and design in us, um, we, we're, we're like, well, I, that big part of my life and passion has nothing to do with my life. Oh, well, stick it in a closet. I don't think that stuff's in us by accident. Mm. I think when God was designing us in the womb and shaping us and kind of helping, you know, draw out this DNA piece or that and and setting up the personality and the passions, even God bringing in early opportunities, like you fall in love with sports early because you had a great coach or something. 
I think God's hand is in all that. And he does, as you said, man, I love how you said it. He doesn't waste a drop of that. Mm, so, so, so I'll challenge folks if they're listening, like if you've got a huge part of your heart and passion that you don't know how it shows up, you might not be done yet. Like you're, yeah. you may have another creative way of doing what you're doing. And maybe you can stay in your field and just be a really unique version of it. Um, maybe there's a field you didn't know existed. I mean, I, I didn't know this world existed. I didn't have words for it, let alone you can have a job doing this kind of stuff. Uh, it's, it's surreal. Some days, Mike, I pinch myself a little like, really? I, I get to live. This is my job. Right? I get to live this life. Um, so Truett Cathy, founder of Chick-fil-A, huge influence on my life. I actually got to work directly with him for a little while at the tail end of his career. Um, and yeah, he's influenced so many of us. But one of the things he said often to us was, man, if you find something you really love doing, you'll never work a day in your life. Mm. Uh, and and that's kind of what it feels like. It takes a lot of effort. But man, the lines between like play and and work and ministry are pretty blurry right now. I mean, I, I just, it, it's and, all. And that's such a, and it, what I love about that, Scott, is it truly is the picture, I think, of what Christ calls all our lives to. We're not, we're not all called to go in full-time vocational ministry. Right. I, I host a scout's a pro baseball scout, college baseball coach, Bible study every Monday on Zoom with about 70 to 90 phenomenal human beings in the baseball world. And cool. one of the guys, he's a pro scout, and he says this almost once a month. He'll lean in the, in the little Zoom. He's down in Peachtree City, and he'll lean in the Zoom, and he'll say, guys, don't ever forget, you are a minister who just happens to be dressed as a scout or a baseball coach, but you are a minister. So you have this heart, you begin your consulting company. And then I love how you said it in one of your writings. You said, I parked it and served at Chick-fil-A. How did your season at Chick-fil-A refine this in you? You already had the heart, right? How did those years that you, because it was at eight years that you spent yeah. at Chick-fil-A, how yeah. did those years and being around Truett, how did that refine this in you, Scott? Oh, I, we could do a dozen podcasts on the things I learned at Chick-fil-A. It was, it was better than my business master's degree times 10. And I learned a lot. I had a great master's program. I highly recommend it. And then Chick-fil-A, it was a master class on the daily. Um, I mean, I'll give you a, a couple of nuggets that just give you an example. I was there a month, maybe a little less than a month. And I started going through one of this, uh, this training program. Cause I, I had no restaurant experience before then. Uh, so they're like, I'm like, I know organizations. I know they're like, ah, we can train you on the technical stuff. You got the heart, you got the mind. Mm. So they put me in a training program, um, that said, Hey, in fact, just so you know, it was six months before I started doing any project work. They were like, no, we, we can just put you through this whole experience. I went through a franchisee training program. I actually went out and ran a restaurant for a few months. I mean, a whole journey. I'm like, okay, now you get us. Come on back. So in that, I mean, we're talking first two days of the training program, the president of Chick-fil-A, who's uh, kind of the right-hand man to Andrew Cathy, who's leading it now. He was right-hand man to Dan Cathy, a huge hero of mine, Tim Tosopoulos. Oh, and man. Tim comes and he talks. And, and I'd like, I can still vividly see it, the lightning bolts in my head. And here's the kind of one of the things he said. He said, listen, what we want you to do is understand the difference and pursue excellence, not success. Success versus excellence. Success is my performance compared to others. I'm looking good, right? I'm beating everybody else. 
Excellence is my performance compared to my potential. Who cares if they're beating me? Am I reaching my potential? Who cares if I'm beating them? Am I reaching my potential? And this like culture of excellence, forget the comparison game. Am I doing, it's the parable of the talents, man. If you want to get biblical, right? Um, and, and some of us, I feel like, you know, here in, in the blessed America, we get these opportunities for educations and families. And I, I mean, I just kind of got born into a really healthy, happy situation. It's the 10 talent situation, right? Like I, God's handed me 10 talents. And there've been times in my life where I've been tempted to take my 10 talents and go make five with them, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's not how the story went. Like if you, the guy who was five makes five, the guy who was 10, he's, he's supposed to go make 10 with his talents. And so everybody at that headquarters I worked with, I remember telling all my people like, oh my gosh, I haven't run across anybody who's not an A player. In other organizations, like, oh, we, we got one or two rock stars and some solid people. Like, I think they're all rock stars. Like, oh, my gosh, I got to bring my A game every time. Um, folks like Mark Miller, who became a great mentor of me and like, took me under his wing and started talking about um, reaching my capacity. And he would give me training stuff. Up until then, everyone would say, oh, you're really good on stage. And Mark would be like, well, I mean, your energy was great. But but the way you ask this question, there's a better version of it. What about mm-hmm. this way of asking the question? Like, oh, everything. They just gently, I mean, honestly, um, I had a mentor there, another great guy, a lot of them mentored me, Phil Arazzi, one of my first supervisors. And uh, I said, Phil, give me some advice. Like, what, what, do you, what can I do? How can I be better? I'd been there about seven, eight months. And he goes, really? Like, you really want? And I was like, yeah. I mean, how am I going to get better? <laughs> so he's like, okay, well. You got to upgrade your wardrobe, man. Um, I think it's petty and I think it's dumb that people care about clothes, but you know what? They do. And uh, up until then, I had really been like, uh, almost like proud of it. Like, ah, I don't pay attention to, to stuff. And he's like, your pants are too long. You probably need to wear an undershirt. It's just going to look a little sharper. Um, you need to think a little bit differently about your hair right now. I mean, I'm not sure you're cutting it as often as you ought to. I mean, just like, man, it's dumb. Your shoes. And it's like, yeah, these are $18 dress shoes. He's like, yeah, you probably ought to go one level up. I mean, he goes, again, it's petty, but there are going to be people uh, who who will be distracted by mm. your appearance and eventually they'll get there. But hey, you could probably remove that hurdle and just make it easier for everyone to listen to you. I mean, so clothing, um, how I communicated, strategic planning tools. Um, and, and Mike, it gets even crazier. So I'll finish with this. Again, why there's so much I could say. The job I ended up having at Chick-fil-A, my title was Organizational Effectiveness Consultant, which is super vague, right? Like, hey, how do you make the organization more effective? What does that mean? So I did strategic planning with them. And then we would identify two or three big moves. Hey, this is the we got to overhaul this or start a new thing. And that really ended up becoming my work. I was part of this team and our job was, hey, uh, go figure out what the best in the world do. So I spent 50% of my time traveling, going inside other companies and, and ministries and said, how do you guys actually do this? And watch with them and work with them. I, I have a Procter & Gamble research certification for employees. I'm, I've never been an employee, but I got in yep. their program thanks to Chick-fil-A. And the other half was come back and say, okay, I've been through five different programs, Chick-fil-A. Here's what I learned. Here's what I think it looks like for us. Let's make our own version. I would find one of the other leaders in Chick-fil-A and we would stand up a new department or team and I'd bring all that and they'd go run it. And then I'd go do the next thing. And so my job literally was go learn how the best in the world do it. 
and figure out how to translate that to our setting, um, which, which is what I do as a consultant now. Um, and, and honestly, super grateful when I, when God called me to leave, which is a whole other get out of the boat, like scary moment. Um, the first client to hire me back was Chick-fil-A. And so wow. I get to keep working with them and doing this now as, as one of the consultant vendors rather than the internal staff, but yeah, the learning, 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 man. Um, and that's it, universal it from everybody I know with chicken. I grew up in Fayetteville. We talked about that. So yeah. when I grew up, you know, of course, where they're based, they're off Buffington Road. So many people in the Fayetteville Peachtree City area are Chick-fil-A people and all my yeah. old friends. And we've got a lot here at North Star. And they all say the same thing. They all, it's like a universal, they don't even have to tout it. <laughs> they just do it. So I want to ask you that. And th this really leads into that next question, Scott. You went and saw the best. You, they sent you to find the best. What are common qualities of the great leaders and the great companies that you've worked with? What are some things that whether you were just there sitting through a Procter & Gamble seminar or you were doing a walkthrough of a customer service training for a company – what are some of the traits of the best that you go, I learned these things, not only as a Chick-fil-A, working at Chick-fil-A, but now working with so many universities and corporations and yeah. startups and healthcare. What are some of the common things you see in those great companies and great leaders? Yeah, great question. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is, is that they get really good at learning, uh, in fact, my challenge to myself has been, and I got this directly from them. It's like, well, I need to learn how to learn better. Um, th this, this kind of meta skill, like the skill that drives all the other skills is, and there's humility, huge. I mean, the great leaders are humble, not just because it's more noble, though that's pretty cool, right? Um, it's because the humble people, the humble organizations don't presume we already got this thing figured out. Um, in fact, one of the fascinating things organization-wise, we would go to these great, I mean, we're talking the universally recognized greatest in their fields. I mean, the famous brands you're thinking of, not just Procter & Gamble, but famous sports teams and, and Hollywood gurus and, I mean, you name it. Like, whatever their space was, we would go to the very best. And you know what they all said, all of them, not most of them, all of them, early in the conversation, they're like, I don't know why you're coming to me to learn. Mm. I've got so much to figure out. I'm not, I'm not arrived. I've got a lot of things. I mean, they, they would start telling us, here's the stuff we don't have figured out. Here's the problems we just had, not in a, a depressive way, but like, man, we got it. So they would ask me, can you help us? Like, what do you know? And I'm like, I, I flew out here to LA to spend time with you. And you're trying to get me to give you advice. Like this humble, open learner, probably the best story I heard of it um, is, and I'm probably going to mess up his name, but I think it's, um, uh, Igori Kito or something like that, but he's the founder of judo. So I, I think I mm. totally messed his name up. Japanese gentleman. Uh, he invented the martial art of judo. Well, before that, he had been a black belt in several other domains. I mean, he was considered one of the greatest martial artists, creates an entirely new field. Which, if you know anything about judo, it's not like other forms. It's not about strikes. It's about redirecting their energy in this really fascinating, like responsive you get angry at me and I turn that into something that, that knocks you off, not me. So genius. And he comes to the end and he's old and there's talking end of life stuff for him. And, and one of the big questions, all his disciples wanted to know is 
which black belt are you going to be buried in? I mean, you could pick any one of these. I, all I, Wearing all of them felt a little gauche, right? So like, you got to pick one and what do you think? And he very explicitly put in his documents, don't bury me in a black belt, bury me in my white belt. Because the one thing all the different martial art forms have is the beginner belt when you know nothing is the white belt. The open, in their culture, the idea of this open, uncolored, blank canvas. Um, and he said, that, that is the thing I am most proud of, mm. is my ability to learn. And so, so learn how to learn. Like, how do you get more content in and better? And so I've done things like figure out how to increase the playback speed on audiobooks. So while I'm driving, I can listen at, at faster speeds. And that's a brain training thing. Um, mm. To how do you get a better note-taking system? So once you get ideas... How do you actually capture them a way you can use them? So it doesn't take you hours, but you can also go back and look it up. Um, what's your practice plan? I mean, one of the other things in learning I'll throw out is uh, find a learning partner. Even if it's just a peer going through the same process, humans multiply the learning of other humans. Like when we do it together, if you can get a mentor, that's even better. Um, but man, even if you can just get a peer to talk through and learn together. So, so these are the kinds of things that I'm like, the great organizations don't hope they get better. They're not even open to getting better. They're working hard to learn and constantly saying, well, of course we're going to improve. What is it? What's different? What's, and, and the humility that requires, um, I mean, gosh, Chick-fil-A has been number one in its category for quality and, and customer loyalty and all that stuff for decades now. Um, and they every year, I think, get even more intense and more committed on how do we learn. So learning as an individual, mm. as an organization, that's one of the biggest ones. That's so good. Have, have you ever met Dr. Sam Chand? Yes. He's down on the south side. Yes. Okay. I, I would say he's actually a friend and mentor. Oh, man, Sam on uh, Dr. Channel, one of our podcasts said, Mike, there's three things in life you got to know. You're always learning. You're always unlearning. You're always relearning. And <laughs> it's so it's so true. And I mean, the pandemic taught us all. None of us knew anything. Yeah. I mean, we're, yeah. We're, we're 25 years in here at North Star. Throw it all out the window. We're all right. starting over. Right. Right. Like rethinking what is ministry if we can't gather in a room on Sunday morning. That's right. Exactly. Right. And man, that is that 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 is go what you just shared out of Chick-fil-A is just absolute, absolute gold. And what you learned, those common things, because there's a reason people win. And their mm. personalities may be different and their styles may be different. But when you dig down in the core of the great ones. Yeah. There, there are some things they all have in common. You listed on in one of your blogs, you wrote an article about Warren Buffett and his mm. intention on focus. Oh, yeah. As you work with leaders and especially leaders of companies, why is focus on not just their brand, but on what they do? Why are the ones that can focus better? Typically, why do they elevate themselves better? Yeah, it's such an interesting thing because, and I got to say, it's a counterintuitive thing for a lot of us because in our early career, while we are still figuring things out, making a brand, trying to like exploring what am I really passionate about, I think one of the keys to succeeding is saying yes to a ton of things and experimenting a lot, right? So it's like, yes, 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 more, more, more. Sure, I'll try that. Sure, I'll try that. And, and it might be in my case, right? Some big surprises. Oh, this other thing I didn't know existed. I should actually go do yeah. more of that. 
But at some point in your career, after this early exploration phase, you start to figure out what it is you're called for. You start to figure out what actually produces results and work. And at that point, the greatest danger for our effectiveness is that we will be distracted by seven out of 10 good opportunities. Like, yeah, that's, that's good. That's a good opportunity. But every time you say yes to a seven, you're locking time and commitment and energy and resources down that you can no longer now apply to a nine or a 10. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, so at some point, the, the, the scale tips, right? The pendulum swings. And now we're on the other side where the key to your life is focus. And every year, more and more, the discipline is to say, do you know what is going to return the biggest return? Mm. And how are you protecting that? So there's a story about Warren Buffett doing this. I'm, I'm, I've been told this is apocryphal, so it may or may not actually be something he did, but it's great principle. He listed his top 25 principles, right? Top 25 priorities. These are all the most critical things I could see happen, projects and and people and any of the things. And then then you organize them to the top five and then the bottom 20. And you label the top five things to focus on. And you label the bottom 20 things to avoid at all costs. Because those bottom 20 are by far the most tempting ones to pull you off your top five. The focus is key. Now, why does focus work? Why does this matter? Because one, if you know this is going to produce the most impact, then you should spend as much time as you can on it. Two, most of those things we tend to focus on when you when you get into really like what things create impact, they're the kinds of things that compound over time. I mean, your your podcast is a good example, right? You could do an episode and that's good, but it's not the same as a continuing conversation that, that builds a bigger community. And now, now you can reference things like, Hey, Dr. Chan, Sam said this, Seth said that, and the connections and combined the, the many podcasts you've done are far more powerful than any single one podcast. Mm -hmm. And so if you find something like that, well, yeah, you need to protect it and pour into it and give it the time it needs to build into the, the kind of long-term engines. And a lot of people are like, oh man, these people, I wish I could figure it. Really what you're looking at is 10 years of effort that's finally bearing harvest, right? Um, and so they just wouldn't get distracted from what is truly fundamental. Now that begs the question though, do you know what is so fundamental that you should focus on it for a long term? So I actually just got back from leading a men's retreat in the West Virginia mountains last week. Wonderful time. Uh, it's a group of guys. We get together every year and do this. Um, and one of the exercises we go through every year, we call it the 80, 20 kind of review. We look through our calendars, pull out our phones, flip through it all. And we say, okay, of all the things I did last year, which 20% of them created 80% of my value. It's a general, you know, 80, 20 principle, right? There's a small set of them that created the most fruit and satisfaction in my life. Maybe relationships might be a project, um, might be a a volunteer thing, but like, what are the, the various things I'm doing? And you pull that list out. And then what we say is, okay, this 20%, how can you do more of them? Mm, mm. Okay. If that's truly the things making the most impact in your life, well, how do we go further there? How do we lean in? How do we, we like, I don't know, double the amount of time we spend in those high impact things. By the way, we also do the 80-20 reverse, which 20% of things drained the life out of you. 
yep. to go back to your definition of strengths for Marcus Buckingham, right? Um, which things suck the energy and, and dreams and hope out of you. And like, I did them, but oh my gosh. And again, might be a relationship that you need to repair, might be a project that technically was profitable, but functionally sucked the life out of your company. Um, sometimes I tell my clients, you need to fire one of your customers. Um, like technically that, that guy's making you money, but it is just not worth what it's doing to your company, sucking the soul out of you. So, so all that to say like, yes, focus is both what should I do and man, what should I avoid? Mm. What are the things that, that are dragging me out of this? Um, and, and really get into that. And honestly, I was talking to this yesterday. It's funny. You ask these questions are kind of a uh, uh, air quotes coincidence, yeah. right? God's kind of been setting me up for this. But yesterday I was talking with the CEO um, and my big challenge to him after a half day strategy session was like, okay, we can do all this organizational stuff you just talked about, but I gotta say, I think you need an executive assistant. I mean, this guy's running a $30 million company. He's got executive teams and he's like, I don't know. And why? And I was like, this is all like your travel. Who booked your hotel and flight to get out here for this, this meeting? And he's like, I did. I'm like, I mean, can't you teach somebody what kind of hotels you like and the flight patterns you like, and you can always review it. But, but if, what else could you do? Are there yeah. things on your list that you could be doing that you don't have time to do? He's like, always that are high value always. Well, then it's just bad stewardship for you to keep doing some of this basic stuff. Um, he, he has the cash and the kinds of things he would do, even from a business standpoint, would produce more value for the company than, than it would cost him to have help with some of his practical stuff. And honestly, underneath all of that is not prestige, not fluff. I don't care if anyone knows you have an assistant. It's it Does that person allow you to focus mm. on the high value stuff more? Well, then that might be a good investment. Focus is one of the superpowers of, of the greats. Um, and I mean, I got to say this, that's not my natural wiring. Mm. I am uh, probably was ADD. Uh, we never did official diagnosis, but, but there's a list of like 10 traits. And if you have five, you can get a diagnosis. I'm pretty sure I had eight of them, um, <laughs> maybe nine, depending on, on whether you agree my point or the teacher's view. So like, I, I, I'm not the guy who naturally is like, oh yeah, just put my head down and go. I have to work at it. I have to carve out physical space and clear my screen. And But man, it, it just makes a huge difference. That's so good, man. And you know, focus. So let me ask you this. So when you're sitting down with somebody and they're coming up with their list of all the things they do, is that something they do personally? Or is it something they sit down with some of their key teammates? and go, all right, what do you guys think br I bring the most value in? What would you say on that? Both. I, I think there's a, we don't just do whatever other people think, right? Like, hey, everybody, you tell me what's important for my life. That not only will get you answers that might be bad because they don't know you and your life well, but I think that's also abdicating the the calling to step mm. up and become, uh, you know, leaders and rulers and and kings and priests in the kingdom of God, right? So we've got to figure out how to do that ourselves. There's skills. There's there's exercises like the one I was talking about. I need to review my calendar and pray through this. And and the Bible's clear that in the presence of many counselors, there is a great wisdom, right? Like, I so what I actually do is I, this is where this group of guys. It's uh, this last week. We go off on our own and we work on our life plans and what we think matters mm -hmm. most, and what goals we want to set. 
And then we get back together with each other and we swap what we're doing. Hey, what are you doing on this? How'd you answer that? And we speak into each other's lives. And there've been times we've said things like, man, you, you're, you're sandbagging that. Like you could do much better. We all know that's, that's not a real goal for you. That's if you just mail it in, mm. man, if you really went, you could do at least twice what you think you're capable of. That's good. And on the other hand, there was a guy where we talked to him and said, I love your business goals, but you're going to try to break another record next year. And you just finished telling us that your marriage is in crisis. And his work required travel, lots of travel, yeah. lots of yeah. clients. So we're like, dude, so you're going to be on the road more next year while you're telling, really, priority-wise, is that worth it? And so literally our challenge to him was you should probably make less money next year, not because we, we don't want the money, but because what that meant is like, okay, you should scale back and do you need the extra money? Like, nah, he's making plenty. Like, okay, then you, the question is not how much money can I make and get my marriage squeezed in the leftovers. It's what maximum investment can I make in my marriage next year? And then how little money do I need to make to sustain things while I'm, while I'm doing that? And, and he was like, guys, you're so right. Because it's just this constant more and better must be yep. the answer. Maybe not. And And again, so you got to think through it yourself. I think that's part of maturing as a, as a leader, as a human, but man, it's so good. I've had so many like creative ideas and gut checks from just sitting with my guys and going, and what's beautiful about it is we do it year after year after year. And so talk about compounding, um, man, we, you know, each other's lives. Yep. And if you can find even one person like that, one person that you can talk and dream and wrestle with the big stuff on a regular basis, uh, it's profound. Now, if you can get a group, it sounds like you do some of that, yep. provide groups for some folks who who want to get into these conversations. But man, again, it's it's not either or. Work on your own and then bring what you think God's telling you to the to many counselors and uh, and test it. Iron sharpens iron, that's I right. think that's right. That so one man sharpens another. So well, I love yeah. it, even what you said about the CEO talking to him about getting the executive assistant. And it's hard for us to admit. There's somebody that could do it better than we can. And it's the old John Maxwell law of the lid. We're the lid. Yes. We think, well, it's a sign of humility. I don't have an assistant or oh, whatever. He said that. The, totally. Yeah, yes. One, one of the reasons, but yet we're holding ourselves back and we have become our lid. We've yes. become the lid on the organization and we don't even know it. You you've started a new podcast, and I love this on um the right building the right engine right so mm -hmm. what's the exact name of the podcast oh so it's upgrade engines with scott oh, wozniak god so good so good and you talk about you really focus your podcast around six systems and skills mm. and i want to talk about a couple of them yeah you said the number one system skill if you're going to upgrade your engine is self-awareness why is it so critical that a leader has the ability to pull out the mirror and see themselves. Why is that so critical? It is the prerequisite for every other bit of growth, self-management, relationships, communication. Um, I mean, honestly, the more self-aware you are, the better everything in our life can improve. Mm -hmm. How I show up in a conversation with my wife, how I think about a business decision or an investment, how I manage my physical health, 
all of that assumes that I'm getting accurate information. Uh, Jim Collins, one of the great business thinkers, in my opinion, he talk, calls this confronting the brutal facts. Yep. Um, uh, in fact, he goes calls the Stockdale paradox. You can have hope and optimism and dreams, but if you divorce them from the reality, then they they actually can be harmful to you. Mm. Um, you you run. I mean, just if you have a false view of what the path is, and you're like, this way is going to work. And you walk right into quicksand. Um, yeah, that's going to come back and bite you. So self-awareness. Now, self-awareness by itself doesn't mean growth. There are people I've seen who use. Um, they take these personality tests, right? And it says, yeah, you're you're a conflict avoider. And they're like, ah, I guess that's me, right? I just don't do conflict. Well. That's using it self-awareness as an excuse mm. to not do the next step, which is starting I talked about learning how to learn, right? Like that's one of the, the engine pieces. Yep. You can't learn something if you don't first know you need to learn it. Um, and so I, I will tell you this continual revelation is what I've experienced. I used to think like, okay, got this thing I got to work on. God's really putting it on my heart. My people have challenged me. Okay. I need to fix this area and upgrade here. Got it. Then like, great. I have arrived. I have now solved all my problems. Then God would be like, well, I mean, <laughs> now that you did that, there's this other thing that I really hadn't talked to you about, but, and, and at first I could be like, Oh my gosh, how did I miss that one? And, and eventually I've learned I think it's just some of the grace of God. He loves us where we are. We don't need to perform to please him or come to him or be in relationship with him. But at the same time, because he loves us, he's like, hey, here's the next thing. And he's not, there might be a thousand things I need to work on right now, Mike. I, I you know, I have lots of issues yep. potentially. I might only be aware of 50 to 100 of them. Um, and yet, even in all that, God is usually in my life only putting one, maybe two things on my mind and heart and really pressing. Maybe there's other forces make me feel guilty and shame. That, that's a different issue. But if I really get into the Holy Spirit conviction, there's times like, okay, no, this area. And, and I think it's God's grace to say, it's okay. We may never get to all a thousand before I die or Christ returns. Uh, oh, well, we'll do the best I can. But one at a time, step by step, mm -hmm. there's always a little more God wants to reveal. Um, maybe it's not a deep sin. Maybe it's just, dude, there's a whole other level of skill. Like you didn't even realize it's possible. Oh, and the eye opening. So I kind of getting to this point now where I, I just expect it. Like, okay, there's stuff right now I'm doing yep. that uh, three to five years from now, I will have some sort of revelation about, I hope that I'll be mildly embarrassed. Like, gosh, I can't believe I thought that was normal. Um, I better fix that. And that's just going to be my life and it's okay. And I don't need to be perfect. Um, cause sometimes self-awareness is terrifying. Cause it's like, Oh no, if I discover I'm messed up, right. Then I, I, I won't like myself anymore. God won't like me. People won't like me. Like, I mean, you know, uh, newsflash, everyone else knows I'm bad at these things. Like I'm just the last one to figure right. it out. Right? That's right. It's not doing me any good to not know what everyone else can see me doing. Um, so it, creates it doesn't guarantee excellence but what it does is it creates the opportunity for you to get better and without self-awareness you don't even have the opportunity it's the prerequisite that that starts everything and it's not something we cross our fingers and hope it happens to us you can go find out there's tests there's people you can get feedback from friends on there's self-reflection exercises it's a tactical thing you can just build into your life and say I just do this regular refraction. I have these people that I ask, I challenge questions on. I, I mean, again, 
we, we often relegate this to like the, ah, I just hope it magically happens yep. to me. Oh, or, or you could, you know, work at it, um, get the system and the skill, just run the engine. And, and every time you do, it opens another door and then you apply the learning skill and now you get better and it just, it creates it, this. It loop. really does. And it really all, I was in a meeting uh, here in Atlanta last night with a, some really incredible leaders and they, one of them pulled out the old, and I don't think John Maxwell came up with it, but if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in mm -hmm. the wrong room, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but when you continually, and it all ties into your learning, when you're continually learning and you're growing and you're stretching yourself and you're getting in environments where you don't have all the answers, it's yeah. pretty easy to be self-aware that I'm the reason I'm never the smartest person in the room is might be because I'm not very bright and, <laughs> and I just keep getting put in a room that I probably shouldn't be in. I'm an imposter being in there and you tie that into learning so well. And then you go into, and I really want to sit on this for a second, the healthy inner life. Mm. Why is it so? And I think this is where our spiritual bent really mm. plays into this. Why is it so critical that that inner life is in a good space and place. Man, this, yeah, you're right. This is spiritual health and, and connection to God and all that stuff. And the, the self-talk and all this self-management, man, most of life, maybe all of life, but at least the vast majority of it, we often face this choice between doing the easy now, but will cost me a lot later option or the hard now, but will pay off later option. And so much of life is, do I invest and do the difficult thing now and it pay off? Or do I do the easy thing and it's going to have a penalty down the road? Do I dodge this conflict or do I lose my temper and just shout? Or do, do I work out this morning or maybe I should just have chocolate cake for breakfast, yeah. right? Um, and and making these choices shape our lives, mm -hmm. right? You get into all the learning. Learning is an investment now that will pay off later. It's not a fun experience realizing I might not be good at this. Um except that you know it's going to open future opportunities. So, so this easy now, hard now, which path do I pick? Well, 99% of the time, it is not physically harder. There's the exercise option. But even then, when you get in shape, exercise can feel good, right? 99% um, of the time, it's not physically more difficult for me to have that conversation. It's not physically more difficult for me to, to delay some of this investment and do the, do the long build, right? it is emotionally more difficult. Mm, mm. And so much of our life choices just come down to, do you have the right mental energy, emotional energy? Can you see clearly? Can you make yourself do the thing that you know will pay off eventually, even though it's not the thing that's most tempting right now? That That's a that's an inner life choice. Most of, most of what makes life successful, from business to, to parenting, is just investing. I just recently posted about um, one of my kids got up twice in one night, my youngest. Um, and the first time I was really sweet, like, okay, buddy, it's a bad dream. We'll help you get through it. And the second time I'm like, oh, for the love. Right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I wanted to be like, we already had this conversation. Repeat everything oh, I just yeah. said, go back to bed, stop waking me. And I had to catch myself right when I started to say stuff um, to be like, you know, this is hard now. But but as I said in my post, like anybody can be a good parent at three in the afternoon when they're giggling. 100%. Real parenting happens at 3 a.m. when they're crying. Like yep. long-term, I will be glad that I showed up and sat in his bed and prayed with him one more time, even though I was exhausted. Um, that wasn't, 
that was physically difficult a little bit, but mostly it was just mentally. Like I did not, I wanted to go back to sleep. Right. Um, that's healthy inner life. And thankfully I caught myself after one sentence of annoyed statements and like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'll get out of bed. I got you. Um, yeah, it, the, the healthy inner life. I mean, my, my relationship with my son, I believe is going to be a lot better. Eventually someday we'll be talking about deep things like the girl he wants to marry and what he wants to do with his life. And, and man, I hope these moments will help him feel like dad's there for me, even if it's 3am and I'm freaking out. Um, so yeah, healthy inner life allows us to make the choices that that allow us to do the kind of ministry and building that I think brings the kingdom, man. Well, I love that you have a podcast because it allows people to dive in and you do such a great job. You you share about it, then you're bringing in guests to share about it. Yeah. And it's really it's a really good platform. And, and the sad part is we can't get all six today, but that <laughs> gives everybody the reason. So in our show notes, we're going to have a link, all that awesome. kind of stuff. Final question today, Scott, and this is one I'm very curious to hear your answer. God uniquely put Scott together. Mm. God uniquely created you for who you are and what you're doing. What do you believe at the end of the day was the purpose he created you for? What would you Man. say? Man, that's a great question. And I, I just got to say, it's a question that I think we all need to figure out an answer for, even if it's a, a first rough draft. And it, mm. it so what I'm going to share is something I've been wrestling with and I've probably done 10 versions of, cause I just make a change. You're like, actually, I, I wasn't allowing, but this is a part of my life. And so if you want to oversimplify, like boil it down to the, the single sentence, then I believe God has called me to come alongside the leaders of the world and help them build the organizations that bring the kingdom of heaven to earth, all mm. the mm. the life and, and care and excellence um, to help them. Uh, honestly, I half joke with my folks, a little bit like to be a Merlin to the Arthurs of the world. We need Camelot um, and come alongside them. Like you have a calling to build your Camelot. How can I and my team help you actually turn your grand dream into a real thing? So that's that's my passion. That's my calling. I do it through ideas. I do it through relationships. We do it through tools. But at the end of the day, it's trying to help leaders build legendary brands. Wasn't that good and practical? You know, I didn't know Scott. I had read so much about him and enjoyed reading his works and learning about him, hearing him on different podcasts. But I tell you what, you can tell people that are in the marketplace that are practicing what they preach. And Scott practices what he preaches. And I learned so much from our conversation. Make sure and check him out and check out his group, Swaz Consulting. Uh, there's uh, links in the show notes to get all his resources. And man, I'm just so thankful for men like Scott that are putting out so much great content for all of us to be the leaders that we were created to be. Well, I hope that this episode added value to you. I hope that it made you a little bit better, a little bit stronger, and a little bit more like the person that God created you to be. If it did, man, would you push pause, go to iTunes or uh, Spotify and leave a rating or review. It helps so many people find their way to us so they can be the leaders that they were created to be in the spaces and places they find themselves. Well, our next episode, we get to hit another winner. 
Elizabeth Dixon. Elizabeth spent many, many years at Chick-fil-A, and it's now with Dan Cathy at Trillith, at the Trillith Foundation. And it is going to be such a great episode. So share this with a friend, put it on social, and I can't wait to be back with you again next Monday on Lynch with a Leader. Thanks again for joining today. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.